Well, good morning, Missio. Welcome to our first gathering of 2020. Each week, we gather as God's people to be reminded of the true story of the world. We gather to remember who it is who created the world and how He is at work to restore it all. We're being shaped by a story. It's a story found in the Bible, a story primarily about God, the one who has always existed and is the creator of all things. He is the one who always does what is good, right, and perfect. While God created the foundations of the earth, his first creatures, spiritual beings, were there watching. They sang together and worshiped God, but some rebelled against him. So he sent them away into the darkness of the earth. Then God decided to create another being called humans in his own image. He then prepared on the earth a place for the humans to live, filling it with plants, birds, fish, and animals of all kinds. And out of love, he formed the first humans from the ground, breathed his own spirit into them, and placed them in a beautiful garden. He gave them everything they needed for life, and he entrusted them to care for and rule over the earth, to partner with him in bringing out the hidden potential of God's creation. God lived closely with these first humans, and they enjoyed a life of peace with God, with one another, and with the world. It was a life that was full and complete and eternal. This is the true story of the world. It's the story about God, the God we have come to worship this morning. So let's stand together and sing. Unfortunately, as the story continues, the first humans chose to rebel against God and his authority, to live in their own ways instead of his. They believed a lie from one of the creatures who said that God was holding back good things from them, and they wanted to decide for themselves what was right and wrong. God warned if they didn't trust him, they would die, but they didn't listen. This is called sin, and it brought a curse over all of God's good creation the creation humans were supposed to care for. Everything in creation, including the humans, began to die. God would not allow this to continue, so he sent them out of the garden, away from his presence. Separated from God and no longer following his ways, the first humans were now subject to sickness, pain, and death. God told them, the way you have chosen to live will bring you great struggles and pain, and then you will return to the ground from which you came. Not only were these humans now separated from God because of their sin, but they would also suffer death as they were separated from the giver of life. After leaving the garden, the number of humans on earth grew rapidly. Not only did sin spread from the first humans to their children, it spread from generation to generation. Even though humans were created in God's image, everyone chose to disobey God. They all constantly acted out in violence against each other. This went on for thousands of years. This sin has spread to our generation too, and you and I are not immune to it. Take a moment now to silently confess to God how you have betrayed him in thoughts, words, or deeds this week.
But God did not leave his people without hope, even though they rebelled. He promised to send rescue for his creation, and he continued to pursue humans with his love. Many years after the first humans rebelled, God chose a man named Abram to make a new people out of. He made a special covenant promise, the deepest of all agreements. He told Abraham, I will make you the father of a great nation. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. The entire earth will be blessed through your descendants. I will always be your God, and you will always be my people. His family grew into a nation called Israel. They were to be a new kind of people who would show the world what it meant to once again live in God's ways. But just like the first people, they rebelled too. As time went by, they stopped trusting in God and worshipped other things and people. In their rebellion, the Israelites faced great struggles and ended up a defeated nation of slaves. But God continued to love his people and promised that one day a descendant of theirs would come to rescue and restore humanity, as well as all of creation, back to the way God originally created it. Take a moment now to thank God for not giving up on his creation, on his people, and on you. So after this period of Israel repeating this pattern of crying out to God for him to come rescue, he would come and save them from their enemies, and they would say, we will worship you, we will follow you in all your ways if you save us. And he does, and then they quickly turn to, say, to worshiping other things aside from God. And then they get themselves in trouble again, and then they cry out to God, and this pattern repeats generation after generation after generation. God sends prophets to tell them, I will one day come and rescue you. There will be a descendant from your nation who will be your savior, the Messiah, the anointed king. But you're going to have to wait in your rebellion. And there is a 400-year period of silence between God and his people. And during that time, what the people had to hold on to were the things they had seen God do and the promises he had made before. And they would retell stories of God's goodness. And they would tell stories not just what God had done in their life in that moment, but also they would tell stories of what God did with their ancestors and how he rescued them. And that's why each week... In a similar way, while we are waiting for God to fully be with us once again, we also share stories with one another. We share how God is at work in our lives and how he's at work in the world. And so we call this evidences of God's grace because we need evidences of his grace in the midst of a broken world and in the midst of our rebellion, which has brought a curse on the land. And so we take a moment now, we stop, we pause, and we reflect, how has God been good this week. It can be a, a grand thing. It could be a very small thing. And in all those things, all good things come from the Lord. So who would like to share an evidence of grace this week? I wanted to share it too because it is the reality of not just 2019 for many of us, but the reality of the world that we have intermixed with these evidences of grace, we have deep, deep sorrows and brokenness. And a lot of times we take these things and we try to hold them together and we can't make much sense of it. My next two Saturdays look like this. Next Saturday, I'm 
This coming up Saturday, I am going to be at a memorial service for my aunt's father who passed away. And the following Saturday after that, I will be doing a wedding ceremony. And like funerals and, and weddings to me used to be so different, right? It's, it's what seems like the start of life together and then the end of life with someone you've loved. And yet, when I have been able to see that under the true story of the world, when I have a story that makes sense of all these things, of the incredible joys of life and the deep sorrows of life, that they're held together in a unified story that makes sense of it all, then there's hope in that. And that's what we're going through this morning. If you've been part of Missio for any length of time, you may have seen our six symbols and how we talk about these are just a, a shorthand for us to share the story from creation of the world to the restoration of all things. And the, the story is about the one who created all of it and the one who's at work restoring all of it. And if we truly believe that this is the true story of the world, then it has to shape our lives completely. It has to shape the way we live in this world. And too often what we do is we try to take little bits and pieces of the story and we fit it into our own personal story. And it's kind of like taking this giant book here, it's the biggest one I could find in our house, and the belly book by Dr. Seuss, the smallest one I could find in my house, which is like one of the few Liam will read, and trying to take this massive book here and all of its pages and cramming it into the bindings of this Dr. Seuss book. How successful am I going to be at that? I'm open to the answers. Not very, right? It's not going to work. And we do that all the time. We try to take God's story and the story of the whole world, and we, we try to take that and fit it into the way we want our life to be, our own personal story. And what happens because we're unable to do that is instead and I'm not going to do it because I think it would freak too many of you out, but we rip pages out of this and we paste them into here. And then we go about our day and we think, I, I know that story. I carry that story with me. But we've just taken little bits and pieces of it. And when we come across the brokenness of life and the deep sorrows of life and we don't have the promises, and we don't have the hope, and we don't have the reality of how that brokenness even got there in the first place, we don't have the full story, then what happens is our story starts to fall apart too. And on top of that, what we're also doing is we're grabbing bits and pieces from other stories all around us, the narratives that we have all throughout the world. And so we start also pasting into the story that the narrative is, hey, just do what makes you happy. God wouldn't want you to be uncomfortable. God wouldn't want you to be sad. God wouldn't want this to be too hard, right? Or the narrative that if you don't like me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. I stole that one from Instagram post this morning. The narrative that you can do anything as long as you put your mind to it. The narrative that you can accomplish what you want and you don't need anybody else. The narrative that if people are coming against you and your life and they have negative things to say, you don't need that negativity, just block them out, right? And this narrative that the story is all about me. And listen, we get a lot of things wrong at Missio. If you've heard anything from the story so far we've shared, that's what people do. We get things wrong. 
And, and we don't have all the bells and whistles, but one thing we strive to do with this community of people is to make sure we're being rooted in the true story of the world. So that when you come across whatever it is in your life and in your story, you know that that fits under the true story of God, his creation of all things, and his restoration of all things. And then you can start to see how these pieces fit together and how you are called to faithfully live as part of that story. And isn't that the beauty that we get to be part of this story? If, if that hurt any of your pride at all to say the story's not about you, hear this, you get to be a part of God's story. And he wants you to be. And so that's the story we're invited in this morning. It's a story we're always being invited into. And to peel back the curtain a little bit, you, you heard this morning how we've done that. We, I read some of the creation story. That's our first symbol, if we get the symbols up there on the screen. I gotta change this background because it's really hard to see. Sorry for the lyrics of the songs. But that first down symbol that God has come down and he has created all things and he was there with the humans. You heard us read that part at the very beginning of our gathering this morning. And then we move forward into a time of confession. And that's that next symbol of the X, that there was a rebellion and that we are part of that problem. And so we have to confess, right? And then the next part of the story, that forward arrow, but... Look forward to a coming hope. There is a promise that one day things will be made better. And then we'll, we'll continue through the next three symbols here in a moment. But to peel back the curtain for you, this is actually something we strive to do each week. And we don't explicitly say it, which is probably not a good idea because I think a lot of times it gets lost. That when we do a call to worship reading in the morning, what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves of that first part of the story, the creation. That God is a big, amazing God who has made all things and he is good. That's our call to worship. And then we move into a time of confession because we recognize we have rebelled against this good and almighty God. But then we get this assurance. We always read an assurance and we try to move the songs along with that theme to shape us in this story that God has not given up on us even though we turned our backs on him. And so we're gonna continue in the story now. We've read through creation rebellion, and promise. And we get to the good part now of the promise coming that we just celebrated in Christmas. Jesus, Yahweh saves, Emmanuel, God with us. I just, I just spoiled the ending for you right there, but this is the good part of the story. And I know, I know what's easy to do is go, I've heard this story and I've seen these six symbols a million times. If you would just, I invite you just to sit, maybe even close your eyes, soak in this story for a moment because it's still true and it's so good. I do have the scripture references if any of you want this and you're going, wait a second, does, does scripture actually tell it the way that you're telling that story right now? Um, but I purposely didn't put them up there right now to distract you. I don't want you flipping through pages. Well, just hear the story. And then I can share the scriptures with you afterward if you would like that. So I'll repeat the last part. There were 400 years of silence before God, between God and his people. The Israelites had been under control of other nations for hundreds of years. And they were now ruled by Rome, the most powerful empire, 
that the world had ever known. Finally, when all seemed lost, God was faithful to his promise. God came to the rescue in the form of a person who was born to a family of Israel, keeping his promise to bless all creation through that nation. God sent a messenger to a young Israelite girl named Mary in the town of Nazareth. The angel appeared to her and said, You will become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will become a king whose kingdom will never end. This will happen powerfully by God's spirit, so this son of yours will also be God's own son. God revealed to Mary and her soon-to-be husband Joseph that this boy was the long-awaited Messiah King, God himself, yet also the descendant of Israel who God promised to send and rescue his people. Sure enough, the next year, Mary gave birth to a son who she named Jesus, which means the God who saves. Jesus grew up in both height and wisdom and was loved by God his Father and by everyone who knew him. He began reversing the effects of the curse by healing, feeding, teaching, and even bringing the dead to life. This is what God always had in mind. God and humans partnering together to bless all of creation. Jesus lived a remarkable life, always choosing to live in God's ways and always doing what was good, right, and perfect. We do this story a lot of times in a, a one-day setting, sometimes over a couple days. And what we typically do is we stop after each scene of the story, after creation, after rebellion, after promise, and we dialogue. We ask questions and we allow us to interact with the story and to engage in that. And I want to do just a little bit of that right now during these next three sections of the story. If you would participate with me, I know that that's maybe unique for some of us, maybe scary. Uh, if you want to just sit there and listen to what other people say, that's totally fine too. But I want to throw out a couple questions and, and let's dialogue about that. And the rules that we usually lay down for this is to not use your prior knowledge of the page you ripped out of that story earlier on in life and go, well, you know, Revelation says this. Instead, Let's stick in the context of the story we've heard so far this morning. Is that fair? And so here's a question. Who is this story primarily about? The Messiah? John? They took my answer. I took your answer. And when I say the story too, I mean the whole story we've read so far this morning, including that last section right there. So yeah, the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? Jesus Christ, Son of God, the promised rescuer, Savior. Why, why is he the promised rescuer? Why was there a need for a rescue? Sinful people. What was sin? The story told us. Disobedience, rebellion. Not trusting God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, disobedience, rebellion against who? It, 
not trusting God, right? What was it? Worshiping idols. Yeah, yeah. What were idols? Yeah, other, other gods, things, people, we said, anytime Israel would worship anything other than God, right? The Israelites? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. They also needed rescue from their oppression. Yeah. Why were they being oppressed? Like, they were supposed to be a blessing to all other nations, and now you have this reverse situation where instead the other nation has the upper hand, and they're not blessing, they're oppressing. How does that happen? Yeah, yeah, that's the, the beginning earlier on when we read the story was like the sin, the rebellion spread from the first two humans to their sons then from generation to generation and it said that every human acted disobediently and rebelled and that humans had this pattern of acting violently toward one another, right? The last part I just read so that Jesus lived a remarkable life, always choosing to live in God's ways and do what is good, right, and perfect. Who else in the story were we told always does what is good, right, and perfect? Yeah. Jesus and God. At the very beginning of the story, we were told the story is about God and he's the only one who always does what is good, right and perfect. Now we have this. So God's the only one who always does what's good, right, and perfect. Humans always rebel. But here's this one. God's son, son of human, always does what is good, right, and perfect. That's interesting. What was unique about Jesus' birth? Was that in the story today? <laughs> You're too smart. Yeah. That's that's right. But let's stick to what we heard in the story this morning. What was unique about what we heard this morning? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to explain the biology of it right now. Um because we had one of our our classes canceled today. And we have minors in here. But that doesn't happen, right? <laughs> Doesn't, doesn't typically happen. That someone who is not married and is a virgin is able to have a child. How? What was the miracle? How was it described in here? Holy Spirit. Did we hear about the Holy Spirit this morning somewhere else in the story? Yeah. Do you guys remember that? At the beginning creation, that God said, out of love, formed the first humans from the dust, but breathed his spirit of life into them. So now these things made of dirt are living, breathing beings. 
from that point on, we were just told that, that those humans had kids and they had kids and generation, generation passed on, right? And so they're coming out of this line of humanity. But now this human, this human is born to a woman and also the breath of life, God's spirit, just like the first human. Let's continue. As a man, Jesus called people to follow him, inviting them to be a part of what he called the kingdom of God. He called people to once again live under God's rule and reign. He said, God blesses those who realize their need for him, the humble and poor, the gentle and merciful. The kingdom of God belongs to them. God blesses the pure in heart and those who hunger and thirst to be with him. He taught people that the kingdom of God is within us. He said, God showed his great love for people by sending me, his only son, to this world. Anyone who believes in me will find life that is complete and eternal. He sent me here to save people, not to judge them. Those who want to live in sin and darkness will reject me and will bring God's judgment on themselves. But those who want to live in God's ways will trust me and live forever. What would you say the kingdom of God is? Perfect. Christ inside of us. Trusting in him. What do you think the world would look like if everyone lived in that kind of kingdom under God's rule, care, and protection? No murder, no stealing. Yeah. You wouldn't need laws to keep people. What was, I heard some? Living in harmony. Everything would be perfect. Sounds kind of nice, huh? According to this story, how does one get into the kingdom of God? Believing who? In God? Repent? What does that word mean to repent? Turn away from our sin, which we were told is a rebellion against God, right? So turn away from a rebelling against God means to turn toward God, trusting in God, being under his authority. This is the kingdom of God where God is king. That's how we get in. What's Jesus like in this story? Just give me some like ways you would describe Jesus. Different, Different. yeah. Perfect and merciful. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, hung out with the wrong crowd. It's interesting if you put, like, I don't normally see, I don't know if you guys know people like this who think they're perfect um, and act very perfect. They aren't typically very merciful, right? <laughs> and when they are around the wrong crowd, that comes out. Jesus is different. As God had promised, 
He sent Jesus to rescue humanity from sin and the penalty of death. But the people rebelled again and murdered Jesus on a cross. God accepted Jesus' perfect life in place of our own. Jesus was brutally beaten and died painfully on a wooden cross, taking the punishment that all of rebellious humanity deserved. When he died, Jesus took on the full curse of creation and the consequence of people's sin. Then, just as he had been able to bring others to life with God's power, he rose from the dead himself. Three days later, Jesus conquered death when God raised him back to life, and he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. Through his death and now resurrection, forgiveness of sin and adoption into God's family are possible for all people. God is now a loving father to all who trust in and follow Jesus. Restoration has begun. New creation is here. And Jesus is the true and risen king of all things. Why did Jesus have to die? Jesus. What's significant about him coming back to life? I mean, we talk about the cross a lot. It's even the symbol we use for this part of the story. But what about, what about that part of the story when he comes back to life out of the tomb? What's significant about that? Yeah. But he wasn't only human. Hmm. Hmm. I love those moments of like it clicking for us, you know? It's so good. No matter how many times we hear this story too, right? What else? What's significant about him coming back to life? I'm going to break form here because this is also Sunday morning 
This is the time where we typically do a sermon, and I'm going to preach a little bit. And so normally, uh, when we do these in our missional communities or in any other setting, the person who's reading the story is just the reader and the question asker, and not the, the answer giver, right? Um, but you guys just said such beautiful things that we got to put together right now. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, only Jesus could have been that one who died for us. That's why his death is significant, because only Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life. He did everything good, right, and perfect, right? And so if I die for Steve, like, nice sentiment, but what does that do for you? You're still going to end up dying one day too, and yeah. But if I die to take away your sin, like even less, right? Like I'm a sinful person. I got to pay that penalty for myself first. But Jesus has no debt in his account. He's perfect. And so he can be that perfect representation and take that penalty on our behalf. And the resurrection we, we often just, we focus on one or the other. And listen, it's one event in history. One event in history that changed the story of the world. That Jesus died and rose again. These go hand in hand. And he could only do that because he was fully God and fully man. But what that resurrection means is now we have someone who is there on our behalf Rescue us from sin over and over. Because if I died for your sin, I'm dead and gone. But because this is not a regular human we're talking about, Jesus lives as our representative forever. Jesus lives standing in our place forever. He lives taking on the penalty of our sin that's already done. And now calling us to follow him in his power forever. He's the only person in this story who could have done that for us. And I love that question of like, why did Jesus have to die? And Bethany starts with, he didn't have to. He, he didn't have to. He could have done whatever he wanted to. And out of God's love, we see in the story, he continually chooses to pursue us to the point where he's willing to give up everything Give up everything to restore his good creation back to its rightful order. Listen, it's not because you and I are amazing that he's going, I'm willing to give up everything to get you back. But it's to restore all of creation back to its working order. In the beginning, things were in chaos and God brings order to it. We brought more chaos and God is working to restore order. And the order is found in God creating humans to be his partners. That's what we're told at the beginning of the story. Partnership with God and humans is the way that all of creation is blessed. And we see this perfect, ultimate partnership between God and human in the one person of Jesus. And that's so good, but it doesn't stop there. He invites all of us to follow in his footsteps and become that restored renewed humanity alongside him. That's what it looks like to enter into the kingdom, to enter into partnership with God once again. And that's the next part of our story, the section of the church. But before I read that, I just want to 
I want us, these questions we don't answer out loud, let's just reflect on this because this is a story about a holy God who has pursued rebellious humans with the desire of restoring them to a close and loving relationship. And so here's the questions to consider. If this is not your story, then what is? Because all of us have to have a story to make sense of the world. What story are you believing and living in? What story is your life telling to the people around you? Are you walking around with your own story and then maybe on Sundays you pull out a page from here? Or, or maybe when you get into trouble, like the Israelites, we call back to this. Or is your story in front of your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your classmates, your family, is your story showing that it's a piece of a much bigger true story? Soon afterward, Jesus went to be with his Father in heaven, rising up into the clouds right before his followers' eyes. He promised that he would send his own Holy Spirit to come and dwell within them. and The Spirit would remind them of all Jesus taught, transform their hearts to be like Jesus, and give them power to walk in the ways of God like Jesus had. Jesus also sent his followers to go out and tell others about him, his life, and his sacrifice for their sins and lead them to trust him and walk in his ways. This was the beginning of what the Bible calls the church, a community of people all over the world who, through faith in Jesus, once again enjoy a life that is full and complete, living in the ways of God. All people are now invited to give up their rebellion and partner with God, living according to his story. Forgiveness, hope, and salvation are possible because of Jesus. This is the church, the part of the story we find ourselves in today, and we are all invited to be a part of it. What did Jesus send his followers to do? Preach the gospel. What's the gospel? The good news, good news of? Yeah, of Jesus, right? Telling his story. Rescue and salvation found in him. How are they going to accomplish this? Let me ask it this way. If, if they were rebellious people and Jesus was the only one who did what is good, right, and perfect all the time, how would these people now walk in Jesus' ways and do the things he asked them to do? Where would that power come from? It says he, he sent his own spirit, right? The same spirit that breathed life into the first humans, the same spirit that brought Jesus into this world, same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, Jesus gives the spirit to his followers. That's incredible. Here's a question to think about. Do you have a community of people like the church described in this story to live life with? 
And is that important? Here's another one. This expectation that Jesus sent his followers on. Is this still an expectation he has for us today? We can join this amazing story. We're living in this section of the story of the church. The story continues with us. One day, King Jesus will return to finally and fully make the world the way it is supposed to be. Until then, as a reminder of the cost Jesus paid to rescue us, we take time to go to the table and remember a last meal Jesus shared with his followers before he went to death on our behalf. We do this every week. I invite you now. Go to the table. There's one on each end. There's a gluten-free on that side if you need it. Go to the table. We're going to do it differently this week. Go grab the bread, dip it in the juice, and come back to your seat. And we're going to take this together as we remind ourselves the story. So before Jesus went to take on the death that was owed by all of humanity, he shared a meal He broke bread and passed it around to his followers, his friends. He said, this represents my body broken for you. Whenever you eat it together, remember me. And he took the cup and he drank the wine and he passed it and he said, this represents my blood spilled for you. Whenever you drink it together, remember me. Jesus was calling his people to remember the story and to live in it. Remember the story that there was rebellion and it cost death. And that in your place, Jesus took on flesh, a real body, and a real body that was broken, bruised, and bled on our behalf. Let's take this now to remember. Thankfully, that was not the end of the story, though. And in Scripture, we get a glimpse of the end of the story, what has not yet come. Jesus promised to come back one day to restore the earth fully, setting it free from its curse. And he will bring justice, healing, and wholeness. He will destroy all evil, sin, and rebellion. There will be no more tears, pain, sickness, brokenness, or death. Every follower of Christ will be resurrected and restored just like Jesus, and we will live forever with him. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of Jesus will be there. God's home will once again be with the humans. He will live with them and they will be his people. And together, they will rule over everything forever and ever. This day that Jesus returns is also described as a feast, a beautiful banquet table set up for a celebration. And so now, in this part of the story, knowing that, we also take the bread and the juice together in celebration that we will one day feast at Jesus' table. This is the good news. This is the true story that we live in. Let's continue to worship him and sing together. And Jesus said, watch as you wait for me, because I am coming back soon. Amen. God's kingdom will one day come in fullness, and everyone and everything will live under his rule. Until then, by the Spirit's power, we get to live in God's ways, giving people a foretaste of what life will be like in Jesus' kingdom. Go in the power of the Spirit 
and live in his true story. Go in peace.